You happy to be in the house of the Lord today? I am excited. You know what I learned is that the Lord really does strengthen us. So Thursday, thank you all for praying for me Thursday. I was pretty sick. I was pretty jacked up. You ever just had a jacked up day where you were just jacked up? That was jackification. And um, about 8 p.m. I started feeling better. But what I found out was that that's when the house was warring for me in prayer. And uh, so Friday morning, my brother and I, we drove down to Fresno, and I preached at the conference Friday night, preached there Saturday morning, preached there Saturday afternoon, and then uh, came back to Berkeley and preached at the Ark last night. We had a powerful service, and we had a powerful service this morning, first service, and uh, this will conclude a weekend of ministry for me. (laughs) And so I'm very thankful uh, for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Somebody said, are you tired? Actually, no, I feel alive. And I'll tell you why I feel alive. I feel alive because we don't do this by our own strength or by our own power, but we do it with the strength that God provides. One of the things the Lord's been putting on my, on my heart all week long is you can do much more than you think you can do. If you learn to tap into the grace of God that is abundantly available to you, you can do more than you think you can do. I have a word for you from the Lord today. I've been in this series that I call Get Your Mind Right. I have a cousin who's a Christian rapper. He lives in Atlanta. And he, he wrote a song called Get Your Mind Right. And it's a YouTube video. His name is Big Ran Hunnit Grand. <laughs> and Hunnit, Hunnit, get this, Hunnit is spelled H-U-N-N-E-D. I remember reading it the first time. I said, Hund? What's Hunt? No, it's Hunnit. <laughs> But anyway, he's got this song, and the, the, the hook goes, get your mind right, get you, get your mind right, get your mind right, get you, get your mind right. That's going to be my theme song when we actually put out these, DVD, these CDs of this series when I'm done preaching it. Get your mind right, get you, get your mind right. I was playing it, and my little girl was walking around the house going, get your mind right, get you, get your mind right. <laughs> She's a little parrot now. She's in that parrot age. We've been talking about getting your mind right, and we're going to continue with that. This morning, if you would open your Bibles with me, the book of Colossians chapter 3, the book of Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we're just going to read the first two verses there, Colossians 3 verse 1, when you get there, please give me a good strong amen. Somebody's quick to the draw. Three people are there, I'll give you another moment. Come on, some of you are there and you haven't said amen, I, I can't go any further till you say Amen. Awesome. Okay, here we go. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Look at your neighbor say, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind On things above, not on earthly things. Now turn and look at your other neighbor. Say, neighbor, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now I want you to preach it to your neighbor like you grew up in the church of God in Christ. I want you to say, neighbor, 
set your mind on things above, ha. not on earthly things. Ha. <laughs> Paul says, I don't want you to be thinking about earthly things. I want you to be thinking about heavenly things. I don't want you to be thinking about the things you can see. I want you to be thinking about the things that you can't see. I don't want you to be thinking about visible things. I want you to be thinking about invisible things. I don't want you to be thinking about tangible things. I want you to be thinking about intangible things. I don't want you to be thinking about corruptible things. I want you to be thinking about incorruptible things. Not mortal things, but immortal things. Not earthly things, but divine things. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, that's impossible. Paul is asking us to do something that actually, if you think about it, is ridiculous. Because how do you keep your mind on things above? Have you ever been above? Don't keep your mind on earthly things. Keep your mind on heavenly things. Anybody here ever been to heaven? You ever kicked it up there for a while? You ever spent a week in there? Now, if, if we all somehow have been transported up there and given a tour then maybe I could understand why Paul instructs us to keep our mind on things above, because we've been there, we've done that, we've seen that, and we know what we're supposed to be keeping our minds on. But the question is, how do we bridge the gap between what is in heaven and what is on earth? How do we bridge the gap between the things above and the things below? Actually, when you talk about the things above, you're talking about the things that are out of your reach. When you talk about the things on earth, you're talking about things that are right in your reach. Paul is saying, I don't want your minds to be set on things that are right in your reach. Instead, I want your mind to be set on things that are beyond your reach. And so faith comes into play. Faith is the decision to bypass that which is within my reach out of the belief that God is going to provide for me that which is out of my reach. The greatest temptation is to just take that which is right there in front of you. I mean, it's within your reach. And the hardest thing to do is to stand in faith and believe for that which is beyond your reach when there's something right in your reach that you can just reach out and take. But God is saying, don't touch that. That's earthly things. You want a tangible example? How about when a young woman of God, instead of waiting for God to send her a godly man, just takes the hoodlum that's within her reach? Well, he's right here, and God hasn't sent me anyone, and I don't see anyone coming in the near future, and he's right here, and he likes me, he thinks I'm cute. Are you going to take the thug that is within your reach? Are you going to wait for that which is beyond your reach? Are you going to set your mind on the earthly thing or on the heavenly thing? Are you hearing me today? And whenever God wants to grow you up in your faith, He waits until something that is within your reach is outside of His will, and He says, don't touch it, wait for something else. All through Scripture. 
Even Adam and Eve, the tree is right there. It's within our reach. We can take it. God says, don't touch it. Abraham, it's not working out with Sarah, but Hagar's right here. She's within my reach. Here comes Ishmael. Whenever you stretch out your hand to take that which is within your reach, you are often negating that which God wants to give you, which is beyond your reach. And one of the most difficult things for a believer who is walking with Jesus Christ is to hear God say, no, that's not the one. Bypass that. But God, the door is open. Listen, you need to learn that not every open door is a God door. And not every closed door is a non-God door. The closing of the door does not mean it's not God, and the opening of it doesn't mean it's God. The devil knows how to open doors too, and he knows how to close them too. But when God opens the door, the devil can't shut it. And when he shuts it, the devil can't open it. I remember, I remember being a, a senior in high school. I entered into a singing competition with other high school students. There are about 800 other contestants. I entered, I won first prize. I didn't know what the first prize was. It was a singing tour. It was a recording contract. Lo and behold. And I had the opportunity to travel and tour Europe. And they had concerts already set up. Done deal, right? Been waiting for this my whole life. And I said, well, let me pray. I mean, they had the concert set. And I went to prayer and God said, don't take it. It's not the one. And I went to my parents. I said, I feel like God said, don't take it. My parents said, that bears witness. We feel the same thing. I went to my pastor. My pastor said, don't take it. It's not the Lord. So I turned it down. Everybody else told me I was a fool. You're a fool. You're a fool. Don't you? This opportunity will never come your way again. This opportunity will never. And you know what? It hasn't. Some opportunity. <laughs> One of the best things that can happen to you is that you bypass an opportunity that's not God and it never comes your way again. Because if it comes your way again, you've got to fight the same temptation. I was playing golf one time. And during that season, I had really wanted, well, that's when I used to play golf. And um, I, I needed a 60-degree lob wedge, and uh, I didn't have any wedges. And I, mean, I just had a pitching wedge, but I needed some, like a lob wedge and a sand wedge, something, you know. And uh, I got to the last hole, and lo and behold, this blessing from the Lord is laying right beside the green. A brand new 60 degree lob wedge. And I picked it up and I looked at all my guys. I was like, I know this isn't theirs. I said, look at this. And one of my buddies, he came over, he said, awesome. I said, yeah, look at that, huh? That's great. I said, yeah, this is awesome. He goes, yeah, this is awesome. I said, okay, let's go. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to the clubhouse. He said, why are we going to the clubhouse? I, I got to turn this in. He said, turn it in? Why are you turning it in? I said, because it's not mine. Somebody paid $200 for this club. He said, no, man, you put that in your bag. You take it home. You thank the Lord for it. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. So we go into the clubhouse, and I say to the guy at the clubhouse, listen, I found this, this club out on the last green. And he goes, you what? I said, I found this club. And he goes, I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. You just put it in your bag and go home. I'm just going to pretend you didn't come in here. I said, what? He said, listen, nobody finds clubs and brings them into the clubhouse. Nobody turns them in. You take it home. He said, so I'm going to pretend I didn't see this. La, 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 la. 
I said, no, this isn't my club. Somebody paid for it. And I'm thinking, now the devil's working on me. You know what? Just take the club. That's what you need, right? The Lord knows what you need before you ask him. Then the Bible say, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's called the heck of fake translation. I said, no, no, it's not mine. You, you just hold on to it. I'm sure the owner will come back looking for it. And he'll appreciate that it's here. So I left it. Four days later, my wife's sister comes to town, her husband, my brother-in-law. They walk in the house, and they greet us. And then my brother-in-law says, Benjamin, come with me. i got something for you in the trunk. I walk out to the man's trunk, and he has three brand-new wedges, a 60-degree, a 48-degree, uh, a lob wedge, a sand wedge, and a gap wedge. Three wedges. Three. Not one, three. There was something intangible that I couldn't see. But there was something right within my grasp that I could see. And the question is, are you willing to turn aside from that which you can see in order to believe God to provide for you that which you can't see? Or are you just going to take the opportunity, even if it compromises your integrity? Everybody said, you're stupid. I said, yeah, but I'm honest. Better a poor man than a liar. So Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Get your mind off the stuff that's within your grasp. Because almost always, what God has for you is not within your grasp. If it's within your grasp, it's not God. Do you know the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin? Typically, if it's within your grasp, it doesn't take any faith to get it. And so it's almost always a sin when you take it. Now, there's a fleshly application to this. Because I don't want you going home thinking, Oh no, all of this stuff in my house is within my grasp. I better get rid of all of it. (laughs) You know, you can be in bondage to the thought that God wants you to give something up. Just as much as you can be in bondage to the thought of getting something. This is what I'm talking about. Paul says, set your mind on things above. And he described for us what's above in the first verse. Since then you have died with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is is seated at God's right hand. So the one thing we know about what's above is that Christ is up there, and God is up there, and Christ is seated at God's right hand. So is that what I'm supposed to do, is just imagine Christ at the right hand of God? Christ at the right hand of God. I'm giving my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God all day long. No, 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 that's earthly things. Christ is at the right hand of God. You do that, you'll become too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. So how do we bridge the gap between heaven and earth. Well, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and following. In verse 8, he says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's ways are above you. His thoughts are beyond you. You ever, you ever just stop and say, You know, I think I'm going to walk in the ways of God. 
You know, I think I'm going to think God's thoughts. They're beyond you. His ways are beyond you. You have no access to them. Matter of fact, the word high is almost always a metaphor for transcendence. It's that which is beyond or out of your reach. So when it says his ways are above you, higher than you, it means they're out of your reach. When it says his thoughts are higher than you, it means they're completely out of your reach. But then he says this, as the rain comes down from heaven, the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without replenishing the earth, providing seed for the sower and bread for food. So is my word. Watch this. In the heavens are all of the nutrients necessary for replenishing the earth. But the clouds in the heavens are out of the reach of the earth. The earth can't reach it. So the rain manifests all of the nutrients that are in the heavens and brings it down to the earth. And then the water evaporates and goes back up to the heavens. It's funny that God knew about condensation and evaporation before the birth of modern science. (laughs) Kind of a trip, huh? God says, just like the rain that manifests the riches of the heavens, deposits it in the earth, replenishes the earth, and then goes back to the heavens, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It doesn't return to me empty. But it accomplishes the purpose for which I send it. What is God saying? He's saying, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But my word is like the rain that comes down and that fills your mind and hearts with my word and my ways, and then comes back to me. So that if you want to set your mind on that which is above, there's one practical way to do it. It's to set your mind on the Word of God. You can't be imagined in heaven all the time. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying walk around just envisioning Jesus seated at God's right hand. Oh, there's angels coming through. How do you know that your picture is even close to the reality up there? You don't know. And then we just got a bunch of daydreaming believers sitting around fantasizing about heaven all the time. Some of us even fantasizing about sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Closest picture you got is Zeus. (laughs) When he says keep your mind on things above, he's not talking about some ethereal, you know, some just, oh, just in the the clouds and my mind is always up there. You look like a drug addict. (laughs) He explains it clearly in Colossians chapter 3 down in verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It is the word of Christ that reveals what's above. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, the greatest tragedy in contemporary Christianity is the sheer poverty of the Word of God in most believers. 
The Word of God is not dwelling in us richly, it's dwelling in us poorly. That is, our bank accounts are empty. When you open up the bank accounts and look to see what, how much Word is in there, you hear crickets. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does it mean to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? What it doesn't mean is just memorize a bunch of Scripture. You know, my rule is that I, go, I don't go on to the next verse until the Holy Spirit does in me what it says in the first verse. You know, this morning I was in Psalm 138, and, and in, in verse 1 of Psalm 138, it says, I will praise you with all of my heart. I couldn't move on to the next phrase even yet. Why? Because I wasn't praising Him with all of my heart. I was just reading the words off the page. You know, you can read the words off the page and think you're doing something. You're actually not doing nothing but reading words off a page. Just because you read it off a page, something magical doesn't happen. You know what I do? I wait until the Holy Spirit does that in my heart. I read it. I will praise you with all of my heart. I said, Lord, I'm not praising you with all of my heart. Actually, my heart at that moment wasn't even involved. Not even a little bit. The Lord showed me this this morning. Listen, this is going to this is going to this is going to bless your socks off. This is going to set you free. Where was this? Yes. This is in Isaiah 26. In Isaiah 26, such a power pack. In verse 3 of Isaiah 26, it says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. You got to learn how to stay your mind on the things of God, and it's talking about keeping your mind in the word of God. But look what it says in verse 9. I'm looking at this in the New King James Version, because here it's closer to the original text. In the New King James Version it says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. The soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. The heart is the seat of the emotions. He says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. The soul desires God, but only at night. Let me explain that. After a long day of the soul seeking to fulfill itself, to satisfy its every desire, and failing, or maybe satisfying itself to some degree, I lay awake at night after I've wore myself out, and there's something on the inside of me that can come alive and say, God, I'm really hungry for you. You know, I've had a lot of other things, but I want you. The soul can hunger for God at night, but when you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and decide, I think I'm going to pray, your soul is not desiring God anymore. The only thing your soul wants is to get your behind back in the bed and sleep some more, or maybe some coffee and a bagel. So he says, my soul longs for you in the night, and then he says, By my spirit within me will I seek you in the morning. He says, at night I can seek you with my soul, because I've already gone through the process of satisfying my own desires. But in the morning, i got to seek you with my spirit. Why? Because my soul is not involved. My mind doesn't want you. My heart doesn't want you. My will doesn't want you. My emotions don't want you. And so I have to lay hold of that thing that's deeper within me called my spirit that says, I know I still want God even if I don't feel it, even if I don't see it, even if I don't sense it. Something in me wants God. In other words, you don't wake up at 5 a.m. and pray because you want to. I don't know anybody that just wakes up at 5 a.m. Wow, I just have a deep desire to pray. 
Who needs sleep anyway? I got up this morning and got in and, and opened my Bible and read that verse. I word, I praise you with all of my heart. Psalm 138.1. I said, no, that's not true. Lord, this is going to take some work. Holy Spirit, would you open my heart so that actually I can begin to praise you with all of my heart. And it takes a while. And I just begin to seek the face of God. I praise you with all of my heart. Holy Spirit, do that in me. I praise you with all of my heart. I praise you with all of my heart. And I stayed on that verse until I felt my heart actually wake up and begin to praise Him. Now the Word of God can begin to dwell in you richly. I could have just memorized that. I praise you with all of my heart. Hey, I got it. I praise you with all of my heart. You know what? When you just memorize something, there's such a poverty... You walk around quoting scriptures. Oh, yeah, you know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 24. You know, it's like, who cares? But somebody in whom the word of God is dwelling richly can quote one phrase out of one verse, and it'll change the atmosphere in the room. My spiritual father will call me, and, and he'll say, you know, no, the Lord showed me this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm like, oh, snap. I never heard it like that before. What? He just said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's huge. No, but it's the way he said it. It's not, but it's not just the way he said it because I could imitate it and it wouldn't have the same effect. But when he said it, you could tell he meditated on that phrase for so long that the Holy Spirit opened up his heart to a degree that I've never seen anybody's heart. In other words, that word was dwelling in him richly. And when it came out of him, it came out of him richly because he was meditating on it day and night. Because he allowed his heart to soak in it. He allowed his mind to dwell on it. In other words, he wasn't dwelling on earthly things. He was dwelling in that word. And watch this. If the word comes down from the Father, replenishes the earth, and then goes back, and I'm dwelling on it, when that word goes back, it'll take me with it. In other words, the Word takes me to a higher place if I dwell on it. It'll take me to a higher place. So Paul says, let the Word of God dwell in you and let it dwell in you richly. This morning the Lord gave me verse 8 of Psalm 138 and it says, And God will perfect all that concerns you. Man, that hit me with the force of a of, of revelation sledgehammer. My God will perfect all that concerns me. There's nothing that concerns you that God will not perfect. There's nothing that concerns... Listen, if you begin to dwell on that word, you begin to keep it in the forefront of your mind and just turn that over and over and over again, the Lord will perfect all that concerns me. So, suddenly you see something that concerns you and you stop saying, no, 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 the Lord will perfect all that concerns me. There's nothing that concerns me that the Lord of God will, the, the Lord God will not perfect. He's going to perfect it all. Whatever it is that concerns me, the Lord's already got it. He's going to take care of it. All of a sudden, you let that word dwell in you richly, and suddenly the word begins to lift you up to a higher and higher place, and the word of God begins to open itself up on the inside of you, and God begins to reveal himself to you through the power of his word. That's what it means to let the word of God dwell in you richly, and suddenly your mind is not focused on earthly things. See, this is the thing. When we talk about getting our minds right, the first thing that comes to mind is all the thoughts that we should not be thinking. Everybody here, do not think of an elephant right now. 
How many thought of an elephant? Because the moment you try to stop thinking something, you've already thought it. Even the act of trying not to think something is the act of thinking it. So it's not a negative command. It's not negative first. It's not stop thinking these thoughts. Stop thinking these thoughts. Stop thinking these thoughts. And that's what we're constantly doing is, oh, I'm trying to stop my mind from going here and stop it from going here and stop it from doing this and stop it from doing that and stop it from going there. It's not a negative process. You don't have the strength. Your thoughts are like a locomotive. They will run you over. They will plow you to get to its destination. But you know what you do have the power to do? You have the power to focus your thoughts on the Word of God. You might not have the power to stop thinking about these things, but if you focus your thoughts on the Word of God, your mind won't have time to drift over into that area anymore. Why? Because you focused your thoughts on the things of God. In other words, your mind is not set on earthly things anymore. It's set on things that are above. It's a positive process of filling your mind with the things of God. Check this out. Clarity comes naturally to the soul that does not fear. You ever tried making a decision in fear? It's always wrong. You're coming up to a light and it's green and there's cars behind you and you don't want to slow down, but you don't know if it's a left turn or a right turn. Uh, is it left turn or right? You freak out. Ah! You turn right, I guarantee it was left. But if you just relax, you're driving, okay, I'm just relaxed. You know, I don't know, but it's it's one of these. Hmm, Let's see. You just relax. Clarity will come. Clarity comes naturally to the soul that does not fear. If you allow fear to grip your mind, you allow confusion to come into your mind. You allow confusion to come into your mind, you'll always make the wrong decision. Secondly, the the mind is only able to stray if it opts out of the war. Just ask David. He never would have got into the problem with Bathsheba had he gone to war that year. But it said during the time when it was time for the kings to go to war, David sent his army out and said, I'm going to kick it back at the palace. I've had enough warfare in my life. I'm just going to kick it back here at the palace and I'm going to relax. You guys go fight the war. You don't need me. Now the mind had too much leisure. We long for leisure, but your mind does not need leisure. The leisure of the mind will always get you into trouble. Does that mean your mind always has to be tensed and focused? No, that's not what it means. You'll drive yourself into, you know, you'll you'll drive yourself crazy. But what it means is your mind needs something to dwell on that is edifying. You know what I do when I get into the Word of God? I look for an anchor, and I anchor my soul there, and just let it turn, just let it turn, just let it turn. Today my anchor is Psalm one thirty eight eight. And the Lord will perfect all that concerns me. I'm just turning. And every time I'm tempted to be concerned, as soon as I feel concerned, I don't stop and say, no, don't be concerned. The Lord said, do not worry. No, I just stop. No, the Lord will perfect all that concerns me. I get into the word of God and I allow the word of God to dwell in me richly. I allow it to turn over and over and over again. And as that word begins to turn over and over and over again in my heart, all of a sudden it lifts me up into the presence of God. Suddenly I'm free from fear and I'm free from anxiety and suddenly I feel joy and I feel peace and I'm taken into the presence of God. Why? Because I simply let the word dwell in me. I cannot take myself into the heavens. I don't know what's up there. I don't waste my time uh, uh, imagining it. But what I do know how to do is give my attention to the Word of God. You know, 
Uh, there's this this passage of scripture here in in First um, Samuel chapter twenty two. I was looking for this earlier, and I found it. In in chapter twenty one of Second Samuel, in in Second Samuel chapter twenty one, David is an old guy, and he tries to go out to war, and he almost gets killed by one of the sons of the giant. And when they're talking about the sons of the giant, Goliath was one of four. And David kills Goliath early on in his ministry. But he, there were still three others, three other brothers. And uh, those three other brothers ganged up on David in this one battle. And one of them almost knocked David down and killed him. But Abishai, one of the younger men, came over and killed that giant. And then it talked about the other two. There was this young crop of Israelites that were jumping into the war and that were killing giants right and left. And by the end of chapter 21, God had destroyed all of the sons of the giant. There were no more Goliaths. There were no more giants. God had delivered David from King Saul, delivered him from all of his enemies, from the Philistines, and established the kingdom in his hand. Psalm chapter 22 is David's song of praise. And look at Psalm, I mean, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22. It says, Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said... The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength and whom will I trust? My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. And then here's this beautiful verse. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Now look at this. Then David starts talking nonsense. Now, now, now first, first David starts, first, now when you read the story of David's life, you don't see things the way he describes them here. Look at this. He says, The waves of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple. My cry entered his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He was seen upon the winds of the wing. He made dark canopies around him, blah, 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 blah. The Lord thundered from heaven. The mighty uttered his voice. It seems pretty dramatic. And I read the life of David. I don't see that happening in the narrative anywhere. David looks back on the deliverance of the Lord, and when he describes what God did, he magnifies it to such a degree that it's beyond anything we've ever imagined possible. When you and I talk about what God did, it was, oh, yeah, yeah, it was cool. He, he, uh, he worked it out for me. It, it all worked out. Isn't it funny when somebody tells you they're in a predicament? They magnify the predicament. Oh, my whole life is falling apart. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just, the, the whole, the, 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 the devil is coming against me and every demon in hell is trying to take me out. And then when God works it, I say, what happened? Oh, it was cool. God, yeah, yeah that, that worked out. God. What we tend to do is magnify what the devil did. And then minimize what God did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to somebody about a financial struggle. I don't know what to do. I'm finances. I'm dying. I'm, I, need, I need this. And then God doesn't. What happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, that came, it came. Yeah. Yeah, somebody, yeah. yeah. Somebody blessed me with that. And I'm going to hit him back later. You know, you know, just. David said in Psalm 34, 4, magnify the Lord with me. 
Let's magnify the Lord. You know, to keep my eyes, when my mind is focused on earthly things, I'm constantly magnifying the things that I see in the visible. But when my mind are on things above, I'm constantly magnifying what I see in the spiritual. That is, whatever God is doing, I'm going to blow that up. I'm going to take it to Kinko's and I'm going to blow it up. And what the devil does, I might give it one or two verses. David gave the attack of the devil two verses there. And then the whole rest of it is God thundering from heaven and came down and he was surrounded in canopies. Smoke was coming out of his nose. Fire was coming out of his mouth. He was holding lightning and killing devils and destroying my enemies and lifted me up and put me on a mountain. Gave my hinds feet were like a deer. He had me leaping. You know, when David was talking about his victory, it was like, no, man. You don't see what I see. Are you hearing me today? Now watch this. Then David goes absolutely crazy. You know there's some scriptures in the Bible that are pretty unbiblical? You ever read something in the Bible and go, that's not biblical? (laughs) You know, there's scripture in the Bible we just kind of skip over. You know, you can pray through the scriptures, then you get to certain scriptures and you're like, Ooh, okay, I'm going to skip right past that. <laughs> Here, here's one of them. How about this one? Verse 21, 2 Samuel 22, verse 21. In the middle of this psalm of praise, David says, and let's see if you identify. See how many of you identify with this. The Lord remor- rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. By the way, he's saying this after the whole Bathsheba thing. You know, he killed her husband. Committed adultery with her. Had a baby. (laughs) He says, after that, after that, not before. You might read this and say, well, this is David was young. He was innocent. He He hadn't done nothing yet. No, 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 no. This is at the end of his life, David says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Verse 22, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from God. Verse 23, for all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. Verse 24, I was also blameless before him. And I kept myself from iniquity. Verse 25, Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. What I want you all to do is go home and just meditate on verses 21 through 25 and and pray them until you can pray them for yourself. It's a trap because I don't know about you, but I I can't get there. You know, I'll pray right through that passage till I get to those verses and I'll skip right over them. I'll go, yeah, I can't touch that. I I don't know that the Lord has ever rewarded me according to my righteousness because my righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, now, David, he was more righteous than me, even though he killed a man, stole his wife. This is the same David that God said, you can't build the temple because your hands are too full of blood. The same David is saying, the Lord has rewarded me. According to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, I've never departed from his laws, ever. All of his decrees were before me. I kept them all. I've kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has rewarded me 
All of this, the whole psalm about him coming down from heaven, it's because of me. This morning I was praying over these verses. I said, okay, God, you know, I've skipped over these verses for a number of years and for too many years, really. So can you give me some revelation on what the heck was going on there? Was David on a little crack when he got to these verses? You know, when he wrote this, was he just tripping? You know what the Lord told me? You know what the Spirit of the Lord showed me this morning? a messianic psalm do you know david would get so full of the holy spirit that sometimes jesus would speak right through him and he wouldn't i think a lot of times david would be in the middle of a worship service playing his guitar and singing a song he never wrote before the lord would just give him spontaneous songs in the midst of worship i think he'd find himself in the middle of a psalm going what the heck am i talking about what that's not even true but i can't stop singing it what the heck is going on the whole assembly sitting there, th- you know, and, and, and they're, you know, they're sitting there going, you hear what he just said? <laughs> His righteousness, huh? I guess he just forgot about that whole Uriah thing. <laughs> that don't bear witness with my spirit at all. <laughs> Put it in the book. The man sang it. <laughs> you ever read Psalm 22? It's the whole story of the crucifixion. My God, my God, why have, you so for, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing the words of my groan? I mean, you read on through that chapter, and he says, I can count all of my bones. They put, ha- they put holes in my hands and in my feet. My tongue cleaves to the roof of my, ma- of my mouth. They cast lots for my clothing. Can you imagine being in that worship service when David's singing that psalm? And you're thinking, David, you ain't got no holes in your hands and feet. Your tongue ain't never cleaving to the roof of your mouth. Your men broke through the defenses to get you water from a particular well that you wanted to drink from for crying out loud. You ain't never been thirsty. They cast lots for your clothes. Nobody is gambling for your clothing. You're a shepherd for crying out loud. (laughs) Right. David's probably singing this song. What am I singing? What in the world is going on? What he didn't know was that suddenly... The word of God dwelt in David so richly that at times the the voice of the Lord would take over and he didn't even know it. When the word of God begins to dwell in you richly, there are moments when the word of the Lord takes over and suddenly the voice of God is speaking and you don't even know it. You don't even have to say, thus saith the Lord. Has anybody ever stopped you and said, wait, 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 are you prophesying right now? You say, I don't know. I'm not sure. It wasn't clear to me. You know, when we're in the immature stages of faith, there's a clear distinction between God's voice and my voice. I mean, I can just clear that wasn't God. That was me. Okay, I'm in the flesh right now. That's me. <laughs> you know, this is the Lord. And we shift back and forth. As we become one with the Lord, it's not so clear anymore. All of a sudden, his voice and my voice just tend to become one voice. Remember, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. But then his word comes down and it replenishes me and it gives me seed and it gives me bread and suddenly I'm full of seed and I'm full of bread and it, and it, 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 it begins to bear fruit in my life and then all of a sudden it takes me up into the heavens where he is and all of a sudden that word as it dwells richly in me, it begins to take over my speech and I, I find that sometimes I prophesy and I wasn't trying to. God will speak through you without you trying. 
You know, there's, there's such a mystique about the prophetic in the body of Christ. You think, well, I want to prophesy. You think I've got to get a vision about tumbling purple pennies. I saw you. And when I saw you, you had a medallion around your neck that was a basketball. And you were standing under a fountain and there was a unicorn that came through it. And you were on skateboards of ice. <laughs> and there was a rainbow that went through your chest and came out there. And by the end of it, it's like, I ain't got no interpretation of what you're talking about. I, I got no, you know what, you don't need that to prophesy. How about just a scripture? When the word of God starts dwelling in you richly, God will just speak to you and say, that verse is for her. You know, I'll never forget, about a year and a half ago, Oscar called me up and said, PB, I was just praying this morning, I was in Psalm 20, and this verse here in the middle of Psalm 20 says, we will rejoice when you are victorious. The Lord told me to tell you, we're going to rejoice when you're victorious. And when I prayed and the Lord gave me that verse, I just saw us all rejoicing when you finish your PhD. Do you know what that did to me? That took my rejoice. You know, I still stand on that verse. Whenever I need encouragement, I go back to Psalm 20. They're going to rejoice when I'm victorious. And it's anchored in the Word of God, not in some ethereal vision. Don't get me wrong. God wants to give you visions too. Don't get me wrong. But start with Scripture. You want to prophesy? you got a book that's full of prophecy. It's right there in Scripture. Here's the thing. we got believers in the body of Christ that are struggling with all kind of mind issues. Minds are going every which direction. Thoughts are like, like, like monkeys in a banana tree. And we're so busy trying to gather the monkeys when what the Word of God wants to do is take away the bananas. Let me give you a little interpretation because that was like the vision I had to say. <laughs> you got believers in the body of Christ that are fighting all kind of mind issues without ever cracking their Bible. And what do we do? Deliverance. Oh, I need deliverance. Why do you need deliverance? Because I keep thinking on this in my mind, and I'm just thinking, and I just get... So what I need is to come to the altar and just have you put, just slop some oil on my head, say a few shunda my bow ties, push me down, let me roll for a while, scream over me and say, come out. Maybe I'll foam at the mouth a little bit, and then hopefully I'll go home and be different without ever having to crack my Bible. Are you hearing me? Freedom is in the Word of God. It is in centering my mind in the words of God. And I'm not saying deliverance is wrong. We should do deliverance if you got a demon. Hello? And how do you know when you got a demon? Uh, if it speaks through you. I mean, it's pretty clear. <laughs> I've seen a lot of demons, and it was always clear. Yeah, that's a devil. <laughs> you know, no, 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 that's a devil. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the brother's levitating. There's a devil there. <laughs> you know, no. We got believers. As soon as you feel, oh, oh, I had a thought. I must have a demon. No. But you do have a Bible. Use it. <laughs> I love this job. The Lord spoke to me this morning and he said, I will perfect all that concerns you. You know what concerns me? The sheer biblical illiteracy in the body of Christ. I'm concerned. 
But I got good news. The Lord said he's going to perfect all that concerns me. So that means he's growing us up in our use of the word. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Are you a Christian? Say, I'm not a preacher. Do you want to live right? I'm not a preacher. Do you want freedom? Do you want to grow in your knowledge of God? Here's what you do. You get in your word every day. And you read it. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to reproduce in you what's written there. Let me define for you the doctrine of inspiration. Inspiration is that process by which the Holy Spirit recapitulates in the reader what he worked in the writer when he wrote it. Can I say that again? Inspiration is the process by which the Holy Spirit recapitulates in the reader what he worked in the writer when he wrote it. In other words, inspiration is when the Holy Spirit does in you what he did in David. David wrote it because the Holy Spirit did something in him. Peter says that the authors of Scripture were not making up cleverly invented fables, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit and they wrote the pages of Holy Scripture. When David was moved by the Holy Spirit to write, the Holy Spirit did something in him and that's why he wrote. The inspiration is when the Holy Spirit does in you when you read what he did in David when he wrote. So suddenly it's not just David saying, I worship you with all of my heart. It's you saying, I worship you with all of my heart. It's not just David saying, I will trust in you. It's you saying, I will trust in you. It's not just David saying, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's you saying, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So that just as David's soul was being lifted up to God when he wrote it, your soul is being lifted up to God when you read it. And if you spend enough time in the Word of God, not just rote memorization, People ask me, how do you memorize so much Scripture? You know, I don't try to memorize Scripture. I don't spend any time memorizing Scripture. Not anymore. You know what I do? I meditate on it. Stop trying to memorize it. All you're doing is depositing it in the mind. I've memorized whole books of the Bible, and it didn't do much spiritual good for me because it was just depositing words in the mind. Listen, until you hide it in your heart, it won't keep you from sinning against Him. But when you hide it in the heart, it becomes a light to your path and a lamp to your feet. When you hide it in the heart, it becomes a fire shut up in your bones. When you hide it in the heart, in the heart, it becomes like a launderer's soap. It becomes like a hammer that dashes rocks to pieces. When you hide it in the heart, you become like Jeremiah who said, I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. When you hide it in your heart, God said, this is the one whom I esteem. He who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. You know, when I read that, my heart says, Lord, teach me once again how to tremble at your word. When was the last time I read it and my heart trembled? When was the last time I read it and received it, not just as the dead words of an ancient document, but as the living word of the living God? You want to talk about freedom? You say, I'm in bondage to this, I'm in bondage to that, I'm in bondage to this, I'm in bondage to that. I want you to get it out of your mind that you can be in bondage as a child of God. Every form of bondage will make itself apparent if there's space in your heart that should be filled with the Word of God and with intimacy with Him. 
if you just fill that place in your heart with those two things, every power of seeming bondage will have to go. If the enemy can convince you he's got you, he will. But when your heart is stayed on the things of God, I'm not talking about not having any fun. If you've seen our video announcements, you know we have some fun. <laughs> to a fault sometimes. <laughs> you can have lots of fun and keep your mind stayed on the things of God. And you'll walk in a higher level of victory and freedom than you've ever experienced before in your life. Do you believe that? Yes. you believe that? Yes. Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today, and I give you all the glory. I give you all the praise. I speak your blessing over this house today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, you're speaking to us today. First of all, you're doing away with our distinctions. We think, well, if I was a preacher, then I'd really, you know, read the Bible. Pray more than here and there. Lord, it's funny that we can complain that we're struggling with this and that and this and that and this and that. And then cry legalism whenever anybody tells us, well, maybe you should pray. Maybe because we have the wrong idea of what prayer is. The fact of the matter is all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So if I need any wisdom or any knowledge for any area of my life, it's all in Christ. Jesus, we declare that you're King and you're God and you're Lord and you're Savior and you're all of these things and you are. But you're also the smartest man that ever lived. At least. And that means that you're the source of my wisdom and knowledge even in the areas of philosophy, theology, mechanics, engineering. If you're an optometrist, you know who your source of knowledge is? Christ. If you're an orthodontist, you need a breakthrough. You know where you can get that breakthrough? In Christ. If you're a scientist, you know who your source is? Christ. He wasn't just a religious man. He's not just Lord over the church. He's Lord over heaven and earth. And to some degree, we've learned how to seek Him for the spiritual problems, the religious questions, and the moral dilemmas that we face. But we haven't learned to make Him the source of our everything. But today, our minds and our hearts are opening. We're discovering that we find our being in Him. When I find I'm stuck with my dissertation. I can't go any further. The answer is in Christ. When I have an administrative question, it seems so non-spiritual. I say, well, I live in the real world. I don't need no spiritual answers. Well, wake-up call. He created the real world. That's what you call the real world. He created it. It came from His Word. He said, let there be, and there was. And He knows the answer to every problem that we would encounter in this material, physical, 
modern cultural world. He's not an irrelevant God. And His Word is not an irrelevant Word. He's a right now God. He's both ancient and contemporary at the same time. He's old and new. That's why Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Meaning, I've been around, but I never get played out. Hmm. Hallelujah. This morning, God would anchor you in His Word. He'd open up the hearts of you and I, the minds of you and I, to make a decision. I'm going to set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. And I'm going to do that by letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. I need more riches of the Word. I've learned that I need to work on my bank account and I need to save. No, but I need to become a storehouse of the Word of God. I need the Word to be stored up within me. He said in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if you would receive my words and store up my commands within you. Lord, teach us to store up your commands. Teach us to treasure them in our hearts and in our minds. Teach us to hold them dear. I pray it in Jesus' name. And I thank you that you're doing it right now. I just sense the Lord's doing it in our hearts and minds right now. Lord, I remove the anxiety and the fear right now. There's some individuals that just anything that has to do with spiritual discipline, it just leads to anxiety and fear and a a fear of legalism. This isn't legalism. You're not going to become a fanatic. What you're going to find is you're going to become more and more full of the Word of God and of the Spirit of God and of the power of God. It's life-giving. You're going to receive and give life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. You feel the Spirit of God right now? I just feel the presence of God. We love you today. We're thankful for each and every one of you. God bless you. We're dismissed.